Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DestralProds.com anime and manga podcast. The final anime manga podcast of 2017. As always, I'm dead. Remember today we have Birdie. Hi. Yeah. <sighs> Maybe next year we'll get a third chair that stays around for more than a month. Yeah, that'd be nice. I also wish I had more to talk about. I felt like I left on a fairly interesting note with the comics podcast. I'm not sure I'm going to have anything near as interesting to say in this one. Okay. Well, then how about you start? All right. Um, I'll get the, I guess the blandest thing out of the way first. Um, when I was younger, I watched a show from the nineties called Flame of Rekka. It's a, uh, martial arts ninja supernatural ninja show from the mid nineties uh in the tradition of more 90s shonen fair it's a little bit darker and messier than some of the stuff you see now yeah uh, stars a kid who is obsessed with ninja at high school acts like a ninja thinks he's a ninja by the end of the episode has pledged himself to a princess as if he were a ninja and of course he also can shoot fire out of his hand. Naturally. Because he is the Hokage. Yeah, totally. The last of the Hokage. <laughs> Which, yes, Naruto fans, is actually doubly funny for two reasons. One, uh, Hokage literally means fire shadow, so that's not weird for him to, for that to be, even if it's a, funny, a term relative to Naruto. Two, uh, this was animated and distributed by Studio Piero, who later did Naruto. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, this series is... Much like... Uh, much like um, Naruto, I don't think this series is necessarily bad. It's just sort of bland. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. The it's it's bland in different ways from Naruto though because even if I think Nar- I don't like Naruto as a concept or as a uh, character, as a main character, I could at least say that Naruto as a story had a distinct flavor. Yeah, it was weirdly about. It was kind of hippie, actually. Just thinking about it, like thinking about it now, like like everything about that fucking series is trying to. Stop war. Yeah, stop war, stop death, stop bloodshed and violent, needless bloodshed and violence in a world seemingly composed only of ninjas. Yeah, and like, it's that on both sides. Like, both fucking people are working towards that goal, just in wildly different ways. Yeah. Man, that series so has so much have... potential once upon a time. Yeah. Until Sasuke and the general repetitiveness of it kind of blanked it yeah uh not even like repetitive just like like repetitiveness on top of repetitiveness yeah like it's the same fucking beats repeating over and over again that we are told are just repeating events that have previously happened and we're told that repeatedly yeah 
I will say this, Flame of Rekka is not as redundant and repetitive as Naruto is. Its problem is that it its flavor is kind of stuck between two very differing flavors of shonen. Because for me, the best way to describe this is if you went halfway between this series is what would happen if you went halfway in between Naruto and Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh. So you have uh, a, a darker tone, a much more real world urban fantasy type feel to the setting with and complete with a full on dark tournament against a perceived villain. Um, one of the guys is just, he, I think his name is Domon. He's mostly bald, but with a mohawk, but he's just Kuwabara basically <laughs> <laughs> difference being, instead of just having the shit kicked out of him by Musuke, Domon just keeps falling for ninja tricks. Now, what kind of ninja tricks are you talking about? Like, just, just, oh, he went behind this thing. What, he's gone? Or, like, straight up, like, some Naruto fucking... Uh, I'm gonna put, bombs, I'm gonna put you in an, uh, I'm gonna put you, like, in an infinite fucking hellscape nightmare. No, nothing magical at the beginning. Just stuff like smoke bombs, uh, uh, floor traps, uh... I think, Shooting uh, fire out of hands, you know, not magic. Yeah, well, he never uses the fire magic on him, as far as I remember. <laughs> uh, although, he does light a bunch of firecrackers and drop them on him in the hull, which is, you know, not much better, but that seems like a crime. <laughs> well, not a super yeah. crime, not like a super big crime, but like a crime. Yeah. And he knows all about fireworks. I mean, his dad runs a fireworks factory, although he's not very good at um, running a fireworks factory because he's mixing gunpowder with a lit cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> Uh, please tell me that. Please tell me the dad dies. Uh, not in the first episode. In the first episode, the son just kicks him in the face for doing something that stupid. It would be amazing. Just like he, just like he's like mixing all that gunpowder with a fucking lit cigarette in his mouth. There's like sparks going off everywhere, and then somebody shoots him. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like he goes through the entire series doing all the normal stuff, and then he just like drops dead of a heart attack. <laughs> Just, oh, black lung from breathing too much gunpowder. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's the more supernatural elements of this show that get a little tedious. Uh, in the first episode, he meets almost a literal Yamato Nadeshko who loves kids, is soft-spoken and sweet, uh, can heal wounds if she so pleases, just not her own. And he pledges herself to her as a ninja, even though she just kind of wants to bone him. I mean, to ease their yeah. own, I guess. Yeah. And then uh, a lady with a magic, a magic, uh, a magic orb that allows her to see the future, um, people's thoughts and such, shows up pops out of a shadow and says, hey, hit me with fi- fight me with fire magic. And he says, uh, the hell are you talking about? Okay, then I guess I'll just kill you. This, that doesn't work. He almost dies at her hands. That doesn't work. So she starts trying to kill the girl and then he uses fire magic. But she's invulnerable, maybe, because she's lit on fire, t- sinks into a shadow, then comes out and says, oh, that was annoying. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the weird thing is also um, 
and Cora has ranted about this more than I have. Studio Piero is not exactly known for gorgeous animation. Oh, no. I have... Smear frames are, like, a thing, but, like, not to that extent. Like, yeah, Jesus I, Christ. Like, as far as I have watched in Flame of Wrecker recently, I have not seen anything on the level of Studio Piero. But there's also far less digital effects and much more in detailed backgrounds, which I guess just might be because of the time it came out that they had to be a little bit more detailed with their backgrounds and their animation. They couldn't rely on digital to be cheap. Yeah. But uh, I guess because of that, I mean, the the fight scenes are fine. They're just blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, in the second episode, a girl gets possessed by a wind, a wind artifact, which allows her to summon uh, constant sickles in a tornado, which is scattered by a shotgun blast of fireballs, and I'm just kind of bored. Yeah, that sounds... That's a problem. Yeah. I mean, there's, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, per se. It's got a decent mythology, even if it's stupidly overcomplicated, where Rekka is, was actually born 400 years ago and sent into the future to protect him from a rival ninja clan who have survived in the shadows of society since. Wait, what? And they're trying... Yeah. That yeah. fucking comes out of nowhere? Well, as far as I can tell, it's brought up at the beginning and then only kind of inadvertent, regular, randomly mentioned occasionally. But like it's it's like when you when you assume like hey the last of a fucking fire last Hokage or whatever when you are the last of something in a modern day society it's not because you were sent to there from the fucking past like time yeah. travel did not even there was not even a hint that this thing had any fucking time travel in it and the fact that it is like is there but plays such a little role based on what you've been t- based on what you've said. It doesn't feel like it plays much of a role from what I remember. That I mean, there are enemies that, well, it's kind of a combination of the enemies are immortal, but he is not. He has just been sent from the past that they conquered. Wait, what? Yeah. The fuck? What the fuck? Yeah, like I said, for something that, well, okay, so, I mean, you know how, like, the demon mythology in Naruto kind of got pointlessly overcomplicated in places, even though it was not always necessary. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of the same thing because it's he, what allowed him to be sent into the pat into the future is that he is possessed. He has the ability to be possessed by the nine dragons of fire. Because, you know, dragons and fire known for time travel. Oh, the, the dragons. uh, Okay. The bad guys want to control the fire magic of the Hokage because it allows them to control the dragons, which the fire of the nine dragons could supposedly make an immortal ninja, which has already happened once because the leader is immortal, I suppose. But yeah, if everybody's immortal, why do they need someone else immortal? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, we're all unkillable. We don't even better. If somebody was unkillable and could throw fire. <laughs> like how, how much, yeah. I would I would fucking love it if like that was their fucking reasoning and they get and then they they live all the way till Vietnam was like, oh wait, we could have just done this, fuck. Yeah. And again, there are moments where 
the weird like magic ninja stuff is a little bit more interesting than I think it ever was in Naruto. Like that, of course, this being between Yu Hakusho and Naruto, there was a tournament arc. Naturally, and uh, in the tournament arc, there one in one of the last fights, uh, the Kuwabara character. He recently got an artifact that allows him, if he can control his inner energy, to turn his whole body to steel. Which is kind of cool to behold, because he essentially, at some point, when he runs, he when his fists aren't working, he switches to headbutts, and that's when his body turns steel, so it actually does damage. <laughs> but then it turns out that the uh, opponent he was facing was essentially just a cursed helmet on a skeleton. So when he destroys the body, the the skeleton, the helmet tries to possess him. So it becomes a fight to, uh, to fight off the possession and destroy the helmet while he's it's still trying to possess him, which is kind of cool to watch, even if it's a little bizarre. Well, it's an idea. Yeah. Um, and of course... The Sasuke esque, I hate the main character type guy of the of the good guys is an ice mage, of course. Of course, fucking yeah. Oh fuck! I just fuck me. Fuck! I just got it. What? The fucking red only blue only shit again. Yeah, but unless but the thing is that I will say this in terms of uh, a Naruto Sasuke dynamic, um, it's not there. Like, they don't hate each other. They're just kind of annoyed with each other's mindsets. <sighs> and there's and there's never a moment where the blue guy turns heel. It's it's Because that's what I meant when it's closer to between kind of in between you, Hakusho, and Naruto. Because while this character is kind of set up to be the Sasuke to, the, to Rekka's Naruto, he comes off more like Hiei. If that makes any sense. I don't recognize the name. It's been a while since I've read either uh, Hawk Show or Naruto. Hie uh, is the one who shoots the the black dragon of the fire. Third eye, sword, short guy. But I do not recognize. I do not know him at all. Okay, well in that case, I would. If you don't know one of the four main characters of Yu Hawk Show, then this that's going to help much. So again, I read Yu Hawk Show once, like thirteen years yeah. ago. Okay, fair enough. I think you should watch the show, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I feel like I went into more detail on this than I actually intended to because it's, like I said, the biggest problem with both the production and the story as a whole is it's just holy blah. Yeah, nothing super jumps out at you is either good or bad. Yeah, I mean, just kind of, well, it exists. Yeah, it's not terrible. I probably like it. Better than it's better than like it's weird to say. Is it better than Naruto since it only has forty episodes and not six hundred? Because as we all know, manga anime quality is determined by episode length. <laughs> yeah, because well, it's well, it has less of a strong flavor than Naruto, and Naruto in some ways does some things better than Flame of Rekka. It doesn't drag itself out into eternity. <laughs> <laughs> So let's say it's on par. Yeah, but it's better than the most recent Studio Piero anime, I guess. Well, that's not hard. <laughs> I guess Piero just has trouble picking good projects. <laughs> that wasn't a problem of picking a good project. That was a problem of picking good decisions. 
Oh, all right, so okay, we have a story. Right, okay. so we have a story that is fucking bland as shit, but is able to fucking get away with it because it moves at such a goddamn clip. It just fucking goes and goes and goes. So how about this? How about we add in forty-five minutes of storytelling that was not there and slow things down to a crawl? Brilliant. Yeah. Strangely enough, actually, uh, Studio Piero actually did work on Yu Yu Hakusho, which I actually like a lot better than Flame of Rekka. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Piero. And they also worked on Great Teacher. Okay, so they have worked on some shows I like. I'd, I'd have to see if whether or not I like them for their animation or not. It's because while Yu Yu Hakusho obviously looks like a shonen anime, and there are, mom- there are some smudge moments, I remember nothing on the level of... Uh, of uh, Asta and um, bleh. I can't. Yeah, no, 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 no. You, you, you said it right. Asta and blur. <laughs> Nothing on the level of Asta and blur, but there are some moments where the animation smudges. But I just think it has a much stronger style, and the the fight scenes do mostly work. I think, unlike Asta's stuff, which is just uninvolving. Yup. <laughs> Yeah. Say, so, hey, read the Black Clover uh, manga. Yeah, read the Black Clover manga. Holy shit, they worked on episodes of Legend of Korra? <laughs> <laughs> That's enough about okay. Studio Piero. <laughs> Honestly, I think you and I could do an interesting episode on Studio Piero based on the shit they've worked on. But oh, no, whatever. We, could do, we could do a fucking rundown of Studio Piero. Like, they are, they are a studio... That while not great, that they feel like they deserve some kind of fucking yeah. Just by the sheer wealth of stuff they've worked on since the 1980s that I've actually heard of, both good and bad. Somebody can I do a really have... interesting profile on Studio Piero. Yes, I believe so. But uh, moving on to something, well, since you since we're talking about the Studio Piero disaster, I'll mention I read some of the Black Clover manga. I read about 50 chapters of it. Okay, and I gave up. Yeah, that's fair. Because I, you're right; it moves fast. It doesn't linger on any of the stupid shit. Uh, the fight scenes, I've, I, the fight scenes are just even in the anime, in the manga, the fight scenes are kind of blah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. They, they have it has no vision. The characters are annoying. I still don't like any of the black bulls, except maybe the guy who pimps out his broom. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Magna's all right. <laughs> I have trouble liking any of the others because I just can't don't get a strong feeling from them, or I just think they're designed to be annoying. But whatever, well, well, they're designed to not be characters. They're designed to be fucking a character trait, and that's it. Hmm. It's like Magna is Magna is loud and fucking likes to do this shit. Fucking Luck smiles and fucking shoots out lightning and shit. Gray transforms, but is super self-conscious about his own identity. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fucking but, uh, one of them is Marilyn Manson. If he had, if yeah. he had self-esteem issues. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's just I get that it's generic and that it's cliched, but even just that the generic and cliched needs to have one or two moments of clear identity to really hook me, even if it's mostly readable. But because of that, when I just got to a point where I stopped for a day, I just had felt no re- no compulsion to watch it again. Yeah, and I get that. That is totally 100% justifiable. 
It's yeah. just I have so little to do. Okay, fair enough. You're like, Black Clover is great if you don't do anything. <laughs> I suppose that's a way of looking at it. Yeah, just if nothing else, if nothing else, like, dr- can draw your attention, then you can probably get something out of fucking Black Clover, the manga. All, all you get out of Black Clover, the anime, is a splitting headache. Yeah. Okay, but on to something I care... Uh, uh, okay, on to uh, alternate isekai series of the day. Um, we now have I've to do those all the time. Maybe not, but it just seems to have been the last couple of times we've done this. We, you, you, one of us or both of us had an alternate isekai story to talk about. I apologize. Um, <laughs> I read... Um, a realist hero um, saves the world through um, through uh, reforms. A realist hero saves the world through reforms. Yes, I'm looking this up. Let me see if I, I probably got that title wrong, but I know the realist hero is the first part. Let me. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. How a realist hero rebuilt the kingdom. Okay. Yeah. So there's some ridiculously long Japanese title, but I'm not going to say it. Just realist hero rebuilt the kingdom. Um, So starts off the traditional way for a hero story. uh, Kingdom in trouble from demonic attack summons someone from another world to defend them. The guy in question being a above average college student from Japan. (laughs) Got, as far as we can tell, no other skills but that. Uh, his grandfather died, um, so he's kind of upset about that, but he's, like, mostly well-adjusted, so he's not, like, emo about it. He's just kind of like, eh, it kind of still bothers me that I most of my family's dead. <laughs> oh, this is a bummer. Yeah. My family's dead. Yeah. So, him not being fighting-type person at all, uh, immediately takes the king aside when he tells him and starts suggesting all these things that could maybe help the kingdom better defend itself and be more sustainable. And the king's response to these brilliant, uh, because they are, from the perspective of a medieval kingdom, they are somewhat brilliant ideas. I'll get to that in a second. The king is so floored by the hero's ideas, he abdicates and gives him the kingdom. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Just like, just like, hey, a first year economics course, and all of a sudden I'm the, I'm in charge of a medieval kingdom. <laughs> just, I know what a stock market is. Your Highness, please lead us. <laughs> uh, but okay, if the things that like I think you and I have both come to these alternate East Coast stories work when they're smart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, so, it, it works when they take what could be just very cliched ideas, but do them smart, like like having like with something like Exterminator. That 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 had to that had, the the way, the way for that story to work was having this fucking low level guy get up super high in levels to be super, and have to be absolutely super powerful. no interest, but have no interest in doing like the high level quest stuff that you would associate. Yeah, with like he a is. High level he RPG is only person. an exterminator. He is currently like twenty levels above what the he, above what the hero was when he defeated the demon lord, and he's still like, you know, you got wasps. I can deal with those. Yeah, 
Hey, you, you got a slaver cut? I'm not going to judge you for it. I just need to get rid of your bug roaches. <laughs> it's like, oh, you got rats? Well, don't worry about that. I could do that. Yeah. I'm going to need like a buttload of dough and some poison. But yeah, so... um. So the reason this is smart, well, okay. The other main character, the other mostly main character that's introduced in, at this in the second chapter is uh, the king's daughter, who was kind is was uh, proposed to be married to someone else until the king abdicated. By and which the king was like, "Yeah, you could, you can, you can marry that guy. I mean, you have my blessing and everything, but could you maybe like meet with the king currently, see if you can help him at all." <laughs> Ah. <laughs> Wait, I'm pretty sure this was like up to the like daughter part. I'm this was a plot point in fucking No Game No Life. Okay, I like, haven't like, watched that. I know it's good, but I haven't watched yeah, it. Yeah, one of the things Sora and Shiro did was after they became after the two of them became king. Uh they spent all their time just held up in rooms reading books and like hanging out on their fucking like smartphones and shit. And Stephanie's like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" And then they hand her a bunch of fucking documentation for social reforms they could do to the kingdom to make things better. It's yeah, like, and, oh, fuck, wait, what? Yeah, and there's actually a bit of that in this, too, because when she goes to meet the king, they don't, like, it, it takes, like, most of a day for her to for him to acknowledge who she is. Then when they first meet, she's like, oh, great, can you read? Great, maybe uh, uh, work out this ledger, see if there's any fraud. <laughs> Can you read to do accounting? And of course she reacts to that question like she's offended and says all her accomplishments like, oh great, good, then you can do this. Like, dope. Fraud. Find it. Yeah. And just after like several hours to where it's like the dead of night when they're done with this, she just says, oh by the way, I'm the princess. You took my job, my dad's job. And she's like, oh fuck. Look, I didn't want your dad's job. I was just trying to help. <laughs> <laughs> this could be really interesting when they get into fucking like land, like land debates with the fucking demon clan or whatever. Yeah. Oh, you predicted another chapter. Sick. Yeah. Okay. So it, 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 the what the daughter learns at the end of the second chapter is that the the first major reform that the guy wants to do is um, fix the farm, the agricultural situation because a lot of people in the country are starving, mainly because a lot of the um, farmers have learned that like, there's a high price demand for cotton, so a lot of them are growing cotton, but no one's growing any um, food. <laughs> so while the people who grow cotton are getting something, are getting rich, they have to then buy food from other countries because that, but so because of that, food is both short and extremely expensive. At which point he's like, uh, yeah, no, we can't, can, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> yeah, like, somebody needs to grow food, dude. Yeah. And she's a little freaked out when he suggests, okay, we have to subsidize people to actually grow food and, like, make a living off of that. So it's like, oh, I sold off a third of the treasury. You're like, wait, what? what?" I actually was going to ask if he started doing subsidies. Yeah. Yeah, he started subsidizing uh, agriculture. He even makes a council of people in different professions, one of which being food guy, to start working out what kinds of uh, 
crops that uh, he has come across in his worldly travels that would that would grow well in the country. I would love it if his official title was food guy. He almost says that in the transition. It's like I need some. I needed a guy to be my food guy. No, just like instead of being instead of being like you know fucking minister of whatever, just, just like everybody else is a minister of this, minister of that, and then the royal food guy. Yeah, well, the scene between them is hilarious because he's like, "I've won. I've been waiting so long for someone to be my food guy. Can I count on your support?" At which point, the guy starts crying. He says, "It's been my dream." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to read this. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the the current arc the current arc seems to be setting up um, the issue of as far as um, all the other major countries now, demons are mindless monsters. But one of um, the king's councils just revealed she can speak to beasts, including demons, and that all of this was started because the humans technically started a territory dispute with the demons because they thought they were mindless monsters. <laughs> Oh, this sounds great. Yeah, I kind of enjoy this one. The art's not bad either. It's not great, but it's enjoyable. Yeah. And since this, this is adapted from a light novel series, I was expecting something a little more bland, but yeah. Yeah, just before we finish up with this, I just want to read the last line of this fucking plot description. <laughs> a revolutionary transferred to another world administrative fantasy series starts here. <laughs> Just, just, oh, you've been transported to another world to bring bureaucracy. <laughs> Praise the gods. You see what I mean about alternate Isekai, though? No, no, no totally, dude. I 100% get that. This is this is right up my goddamn alley. Yeah. There's only five chapters of the manga available currently. I think there's more available if you like buy it, but I've only been able to read five. You could probably find more. You're better at finding them than I am, but I, d- I do actually recommend it. Alrighty. Okay. Uh, one other weird thing. Okay. So I watched an episode or two of this anime when I was younger and I could never figure out if I liked it. Okay. And having come back to it years later, I still don't know. Okay. So I don't know how to pronounce it. It's either Noein or Noin. It's from uh, 2005. And it seems to be a coming-of-age time travel apocalypse story. Oh. Well, that's nice. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure it's Noein. No, uh, the, okay. In terms of the Japanese pronunciation, it would be no ein, but I guess this would be no ein. I guess if it was literally translated into English, it's names like that that are like a word that are neither Japanese nor nor English are kind of confusing to me. But that, I guess I'll just go with no ein for now, just for yeah. The, until we until we are corrected of, by the fucking one person who watches listens to this show seventeen years from now. Yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah. How are things? How are things there? Has the fi- have the fires been put out yet? Yeah. I'll probably be dead by then, so I don't know. Anyway. So no way. So let me just 
read, let me just read this description to you. Fifteen years in the future, uh, a violent battle takes place between Lakirma, that protects humanity, and Shangri-La, that plans the annihilation of all space-time. The key to stopping Shangri-La's invasion is a serious object known as the Dragon's Torque. A group of the Dragon Cavalry have been sent through space and time to find it. In the present, 12-year-old Haruka and her friend Yu are contemplating running away from home when they meet a member of the Dragon Cavalry named Crow. He believes that Haruka has the Dragon Torque and claim, and this being the big wah-wah-wah-wah moment from the first episode, claims he is... I can't avoid this pun if I say his name. He claims to be Yu from the future. <laughs> that, that has to be intentional. Yeah, because there's even a line in the dub It's like, can't you tell I'm you? And I was trying so hard not to do the joke. This game, because, but the, the characters say his name so often, you, either when talking about the future him or the present him. So everyone's just saying you all the time, whether talking about you or you or you. So it's just or me. aggravating. Or me. Or him. Or you. Or even you. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who dubbed this, because it was released at a time when there was more people besides Funimation and ADD to dub stuff. Manga so Entertainment. Ah, okay. Also, well, they do have some... yeah, also, this probably means nothing, but I just want to say, uh, the guy who directed the series also directed, uh, in 2008, Birdie the Mighty Decode. I know what that is. And again, the 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 direction's not bad for it. Um, okay, and this is another thing. Let me see if I can find a still because a still would probably tell it best. I don't. I can't tell if the art is bad or not because it's stylish, it's unique, it has a flavor, but a lot of stills. Don't I can't like it, 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 this is it's just further complicated by the fact that characters seem to acknowledge that some characters look creepy in show, but then others don't. So I can't tell if the art is good or not. It looks good, mm. colorful, uh, bright, interesting to look at. It's just, are you seeing images from it? Yeah, I did an image search. It is. I'm not sure. Yeah, and watching it makes it no better. Like I almost kind of want to watch want you to watch an episode or two of it just just for the animation's sake to tell me what you think because it is distinctive. It is eye pet eye catching. It makes you remember it. I mean, clearly I've remember it twelve years after I first watched it, but I can't tell if it's good. <laughs> I've said this. I said this like nine times, but 2018. Anime Club's coming back. We're watching something. Either this well, or that other one watching. you wanted to wanted me to fucking watch. Yeah, this or um, no, not serial experiment. I would never do serial experiments lane to someone. That no, would just be no rule. <laughs> People have to pay us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash prods in order for us to watch that. And that's never going to yes. happen, so we're never watching it. <laughs> Yeah, and I wouldn't. I almost wouldn't want to do it because, as bad as our Boogie Pop Phantom riffs were, this would be so much worse because it's so much more impenetrable. 
That might be better for fucking but, yeah. us. I, just screaming. <laughs> just releasing a track of like, all right, here's the, all right, here's the first episode. Ah! And here's the second. Ah! Okay. Oh. All right. I guess that's why it looks the way it does. I was trying to figure out why it looks distinctive and eye-catching. It's done by... Um, Studio called uh, Satellite Inc. Not spelled like satellite. It's spelled yeah, it's S- like Satellite. Yeah, Satellite. It's it's spelled like Satellite. English. Yeah, but a lot of the shows on their list are stuff that are visually striking, even if it's not necessarily well animated, but they look good, even if it's patchy. Like they did uh, Disappearance of Nagado Yuki-chan. They did uh, Nobunaga the Fool, but it's Space Pirates, which is still weird that that's good, just considering that title. Uh, <laughs> Helsing Ultimate. Uh, I'm trying to look so if you would like Athlodes and Macross. Uh, yeah, Athlodes and Macross. Log Horizon, which also looks good, even if its animation budget was kind of shitty. Yeah. Uh, uh, Fairy Tale. Yeah, co-production with fair on Fairy Tale A one. Yeah, yeah a, no, they're involved. Yeah, so you know, plenty of good shit. Uh, Genesis, I, I I don't like the Aquarion series. I I don't care if it's it's so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like it, Aquarion might be too ridiculous for for Obari. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> the the central conceit is. Joining robots is like fucking, right? Well, <laughs> I've watched Gurren Lagan a bit. Yeah, you ever but heard of Dokken? That, yeah, and but they make that much more literal in the sense that, whereas they make the joke that I'm docking with you in Gurren Lagan, they don't have the characters react like they are coming when joining robots. <laughs> Huh. The only reason that se- the series won't leave my head is that the opening theme is su- is written by Yoko Kano, so it's stuck permanently in my head, and I can't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is a like a sort of like with um, alternate isekai stories. I like these kinds of anime stories which blend genres, and this this kind of this is kind of like how. Uh, the closest thing I could think of is kind of like um, Eureka 7. Like There were a lot of these in the mid-2000s where they blended like a more traditional coming-of-age or human drama story with ridiculously weird sci-fi. Yeah. Which is kind of what I liked from that period. But, yeah, I, I, this one still confounds me years later. It's well-reviewed. People still think of it fondly, but I just can't figure out how if I like it or not. <laughs> so I kind of want you to watch an episode or two of it to get your opinion because my opinion I don't know if my opinion has piqued your interest or just left you with a net neutral but I'm just I'm not sure either <laughs> which I'll say is an achievement <laughs> it's not one I wanted I didn't want to leave you as confused over a series you've never seen over over you, a series you've never seen as I am over one I have seen. <laughs> like this is the exact. This is not like um, Flame of Recca where my my thoughts are confused because the good points and bad points ma- 
cancel each other out to a, like a net blah. This is like, there's a lot of good there, but the moments that are bad are kind of noticeable. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I kind of want, I, w- I want your opinion. <laughs> and you'll probably get it in 2018. Yeah. Because if nothing else, I could probably the dub for this is worth listening to because it's actually the good people from Manga Entertainment, like Crispin Freeman. Oh, yeah, like Crispin Freeman, uh, Yuri Lowenthal, Richard Epcar, the guy who did the voice of Bateau. So yeah, it's a solid dub cast. If you want to listen, if you can find the dub, and it's. I can't remember if it's easy to get to her anymore or not. There's a lot of people who went on to work for either worked for Manga Entertainment or uh, did a lot of work in the '90s or were and can still work now or haven't worked much since. But you know, all good actors, as far as I can tell. I'm looking at the whole list; it's mostly good people. Yeah, and knowing so is actually available. I'm not sure how you feel about dubs all the time. Some are good, some are bad. Yeah, and actually, knowing is available but, on Blu-ray. Yeah, because I think it's one of the ones Funimation rescued from Manga Entertainment. Yeah, it is. 40 bucks. Yeah. So, yeah. For the entire yeah. series. That is a fucking deal. Yeah, I suppose. Did- yeah, but I guess particularly from Funimation if it's not one of their uh, SAVE editions. Because uh-huh. those can be really cheap. But And this is a longer series. But yeah, um, I guess I can recommend checking it out to get your own opinion. Because I do think this is one of those shows that you kind of have to check out to get your own opinion on. Uh-huh. I can't tell if it's good or not. <laughs> okay. So. All right. Sorry if that doesn't help. Sorry if that's not helpful. No worries, man. I, it's happened to me a lot. So. Anything else? That's it for me. Yeah, that's it for me. All righty then. So. Let's talk about Berserk. I assume the manga because I can't imagine you watching the anime. <laughs> no, I would I would I see a frame of that thing I break out in hives. <laughs> but I started rereading the manga, got much deeper than I did before because I found a fucking manga reading website that lets me bookmark shit. Okay. What? Just if, what? If you're expecting if you're expecting me to explain the plot and the character intricacies of Berserk to you, good fucking luck. <laughs> Berserk got weird. You don't say. Like, most of my knowledge of Berserk comes from the episode I saw of the an- of the new anime, which looked interesting, if incredibly confusing plot-wise, and the golden, the golden egg arc basically no, actually, that's the, the thing up. the plot the plot itself is actually relatively straightforward okay yeah so order of it notwithstanding because for some fucking reason the first like two or three volumes take place in the middle of the story oh yeah so it, it, it okay so I, I think i told you about this the berserk anime has a episode that takes place in the more traditional guts having lost his hand with the crossbow arm. Yeah. Giant sword, black swordsman type thing. Yeah. That's after, that's, that, yeah. That, and then yeah, the, it's all, and it's then all the after rest the, of that. Yeah. It, the, the, after everything that happened with Griffith. Yeah. So that takes longer in the manga. Yes. 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the manga has like a multi-chapter story arc. That, that's called, I think, like the Black Swordsman or something. And that is all about Guts going out there, meeting Puck, the most bizarre character in this oh, fucking series, God. until Isidro is introduced. Uh. Yeah, so meets Puck, meets Puck, goes through all this shit, defeats, like, fights the fucking Slug Baron, go, goes up and fights all this shit, eventually brings down the God Hand, where he tries to kill Femto, formerly known as Griffin, Griffith, fails horribly, and then cuts to the beginning of the story. That's okay. That's kind of that's both rushed and pointlessly drawn out. I'll say that it serves as a decent introduction. I guess, but okay. So the the best example of this kind of storytelling to me is still Full Metal Alchemist, where that that first arc with the with the priest, the false alchemy priest set up enough of the setting and the characterization and the world mechanics to get you invested before going back and telling the origin story to get you up to speed. What you're telling me sounds like way too much detail on a whole bunch of stuff we didn't need to know until we had been given the context. Actually, that's the thing. I could have I could have just like jumped into this at the point where the story begins with fucking like the Black Swordsman arc. And if it had continued on from there, I would have been fine with it. Yeah, okay, but that's my point. Since I know that after that, it immediately cuts back and then tells you the entire story. Yeah, in that's time. the weird thing. Yeah, that's so that's what I'm caught up on. It's like, okay, if you want to start in medias race and then just fill in bits and pieces that are necessary for plot development from there, fine. But if you're going to cut all the way back and do a flashback to explain everything leading up to the current context, then don't waste a whole lot of time piecing it little, giving in little pieces. If you're just going to dump the whole thing on the audience before the story anyway, like, but actually it's really weird. It doesn't just give you little pieces. It doesn't just fucking flashback to give you more context. It, it flashback to show you the things leading up to the events that we ha- we saw the story for the most part after, after that initial arc is from the beginning of guts's life. Because immediately after the fucking Black Swordsman shit, we see Guts as a newborn baby hanging underneath the dead body of his mother. Because, you know, it's berserk. Yeah, that's one element of the manga I'm glad was cut from the anime. (laughs) But yeah, so for those who don't know, Berserk is a fucking long-running series that for a while was going pretty regularly and now shows up in random random fits and starts. Uh, and it is about Guts, a mercenary who has a robotic arm that has, a, that has a cannon in it, and he has this giant sword that is bigger than he is, like some Final Fantasy-style shit, and he goes out and fights demons, trying to hunt down and murder one person. That is the... that That is a chunk of the story. Before that, though, it was about Guts becoming a character... Like for from from pretty much the beginning from pretty much the beginning of the actual series proper with arc one to the eclipse. That's all about developing guts as a person in his relationship with the band of the hawk. And okay. to and to anybody out there who is who is knows about the Berserk, I know that in other translations it's called Band of the Falcon, and the one I'm reading it's Band of the Hawk, and Band of the Hawk rolls better off the tongue for me than Band of the Falcon. Yeah, and most of the anime versions I'm familiar with call it the Band of the Hawk. So um, I better 
I'm, I'll stick with that personally. Yeah, I know. Yeah, just just some of the some of the official stuff I've seen is just like a band of the Falcon. Yeah, you know, the I know. Falcon I know. Darkness. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so yeah, band, the Band of the Hawk was a mercenary troop. They were led by Griffith, this incredibly charismatic, very beautiful man who is also an amazing sword fighter. Yeah. Uh, the first day, and maybe a little gay, a little gay, a little bit. Yeah, specifically for guts. Yeah. Like, Guts is the first time Griffith has ever said to a person, I want you. But yeah, yeah, so... Uh, to gu- the point where the woman who was turned on by his beauty was a little upset by how immediately entranced by Guts he was. Just a little bit. But yeah, so beginning of the story, so first, so beginning of the thing, uh, Guts the mercenary, he works for different companies for a while, uh, eventually ends up running into the Band of the Hawk. Where he fights Griffith, and Griffith is very surprised and, like, intrigued by him. So he essentially claims ownership over him by beating him in a sword fight. From there, yeah. Guts joins the band, uh, which the band is a group of mercenaries. Uh, begins to form relationships with all of them. Like, he and he actually forms, out like, a tag team duo with one of the dudes. His name's Pippin. Yeah. And a combative steamy stormy relationship with Casca. Yeah, who who's the who, only woman who, in the troop? Yeah. And okay, given what I know about the story after the Band of the Hawks arc, is Casca still the most screwed over woman in the entire story? Yes. <laughs> Cuz like some of the characters guts meets after the Band of the Hawk arc also get screwed over, but I'm having a hard time imagining anyone gets more screwed over than Casca. <laughs> yeah, like one of the most irredeemable female characters actually starts being redeemed. But still, Casca is just hanging out. It's actually even, it's actually even a bit worse because I'm pretty sure she loses her baby. Yeah. A second time. I'll get to that. So, Guts, hanging out with the Band of the Hawk, making bros, hanging out. Doing cool shit. Uh, eventually, Griffith reveals to him that he has this little thing, which is an egg that has all these weird face parts on it. And then it looks at Guts, and he's like, wait, no, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, it's some magic demon shit. It is called the Crimson Behelet, or Beherit. I would just go with Behelet. Yeah, so the Behelet is a something that is seeded out into the world that finds its way to its intended person. And then they can become an apostle of the God Hand. Which I which I will get to. So Griffith's like, hey, I want to have my own kingdom. And Guts is like, fucking sick. I'll help you out with that, bro. And then eventually Griffith, his plan begins to put in motion. And Guts and both both Guts and Casca begin to kind of reevaluate their positions in life. And especially in, and especially in comparison to their position with Griffin. Griffith. I keep saying Griffin. Yeah. Yeah, eventually well, Guts it, just decides to leave, which causes Griffith yeah, to well, go crazy. Yeah, well, because Gr- Griffith was under the impression that he c- controlled Guts by yeah, making Yeah, Guts him. was his. Yeah. But then Guts Whereas beats him. Gut, gut, yeah, Guts' whole thing was he was, yeah, he lost to Griffith occasionally, and he was certainly friends with him and respects him. But he was always looking at being part of the Band of the Hawks as a way for him to grow personally, even if he may or may not have grown attached to different members of the Hawks for different reasons. Yeah. Eventually which is probably like, also like, which is what Casca always distrusted about him, that she thought he was a little too 
flighty as yeah. a person. If he couldn't be tied down to anything, but at the same time, she also couldn't it couldn't uh, dispute the fact that his mindset affected how she viewed her place within the Hawks and Griffith more specifically. Yeah. So when Gus decides to leave the band, uh, Griffith goes crazy. Uh, and, fucks uh, the princess. Fox. Yeah, fucks the princess of the of the kingdom they're staying at. Well, not, not rapes, I guess. She no, wasn't. no, it's consensual. It's just like it's consensual, he, just a bit forced. But it, but she does eventually say, "Yeah, sure." Yeah, but she also, but yeah, he also stoops the king's daughter without a wedding and against the wishes of several nobles who hated him initially. Anyway, so yeah, because he because he was a common man who was doing better in battle than their children who were generals. And we're making them all look bad. Yeah. So the king gets Griffith, throws him in a fucking prison, leaves him in there for a year, where he gets super fucked up. Yeah, he kind of, he looks like they burned him. Well, not just burned him, they like fucking ripped tendons out of his arm and, arms and legs so he can never stand or hold a sword again. Yeah. Uh, Hawks eventually reconvene, re, like get back together along with Guts, uh, break him out. And on the run, uh, Griffith activates the Behelet, triggering the Eclipse. Which is an event where, all of a sudden, just from the sky descends this giant fucking blood tornado. The land itself turns into horrible screaming faces, and the moon cracks open to reveal an M.C. Escher-esque fucking, like, archways and shit going into eternity, where four supreme beings... Uh, essentially Cenobites from fucking Hellraiser, you know, demons to some, angels to others. Yeah. Where they show up and say, hey, Griffith, join us. Just kill all your friends. Yeah. Griffith says yes. At which point, the entire band of the Hawk get branded. Yeah. Yeah, the mark of sacrifice. And most of them, and most of them killed. Yeah, everyone but two. Griffith, yeah, yeah. Like- specifically Guts and Casca. Yeah, Cotton will Costco because Griffith rapes her. Yeah, that's yep, that's a thing. And guts because he literally rips his own arm off to get out of his binds and uses a sword in his mouth to escape. Which, yeah, guts is kind of a guts is kind of crazy. Well, he was crazy before the shit with Griffith. The Griffith this makes him worse. worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they eventually so they survive just through guts's sheer determination and through and through aid of the Skull Knight. A mysterious, super powerful fucking entity who hangs out and gives Guts the nickname The Struggler. Well, I guess just doesn't like the... Uh, what, what did you call them? The Cine- I, 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 the, the God my hand. mind jumped to Cinebites. Yeah, it's, What's uh, the term? God Hand. God Hand, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Skull Knight is the self-reported enemy of the Inhumans. So, the God Hand and the Apostles, who are... Other people who had behelds, but not the special kind of beheld that made them one of the god hand. They're just demons. Okay. Yeah, every every single person who had every single person who got the behelot had to had to like bleed on it at a specific time, which caused the eclipse to happen, which then which then the god hand came down and said, Hey, sacrifice what you love most, and we and you can join us. And then if they say I sacrifice, then whatever they love most gets killed. Yeah. And fuels their transformation into whatever their apostle form is. Yeah, which for Griffith is Bat Knight? Uh, for Griffith, it is his regular armor, but black with wings. Yeah, okay, that's why I said Bat Knight. But... 
Yeah, his his armor isn't traditionally knight like it is, like has like a bunch of feathers on it and shit. His helmet yeah, is like a fucking more, weird fucked up bird head. It's more traditional like um French musketeer type armor. Kinda, yeah. Just helmet yeah, is so weird. It's, yeah, well it none of the equi- no, okay, so aside from the fact that there's weird fantasy shit going on, the the technology in Berserk does not make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, Berserk's weird. Like some, like some of it's more medieval. Some of it's more like nineteenth century or eighteenth, like not nineteenth, seventeenth or eighteenth century, kind of baroque foppish type stuff. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I I went with it for the characters and the gore and the weirdness of the story, but doesn't make much sense. Uh-huh. And Puck is stupid. Puck makes the least sense of anything in this goddamn series. Yeah. And like I heard I heard this like I might have I might have heard of that I might heard it from you, I might have heard it from somebody else, but just Puck's only reason to exist is so that the writer doesn't fucking kill himself. Yeah, I think I might have said that at some point, but I'm pretty sure you heard that from other people also, because give it if okay, let me get your take on this. Is Berserk just something that the writer needs to work out? I think so. Like he, like he's getting better at it. Like, like Berserk is still really fucked up and stuff. But like Guts is becoming a person again. So maybe by the end of this story, once he gets it all out of his system, he'll be better. I feel like once he gets to the end, he'll just have like that weird Jedi moment where he's like, "And Berserk is done." That he just fades out of his clothes. Yeah, comes a Force That'll Ghost. Be. Have you watched episode eight? I have. Okay, he pulls a Luke. He pulls a Luke Skywalker. He pulls a Yoda. <laughs> yeah, and then just comes back to just like harass Ichiro Oda. Yeah, because what I'm afraid of with a series like this, with such a rabid fan base and a strong mythology, is that I I don't want its creator to turn into Hideaki Anno. Okay. You know who I'm talking about, right? Maybe. Evangelion's creator. <laughs> uh, yeah, that. Yeah, that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Because, regardless of what I may or may not say about Evangelion, I don't like the way that one how the production of it played out, and b how it's come to define his entire career. <clears throat> Because, yeah, I'm sure that, like, and not in the sense that, like, yeah, he's known for it, in the sense that it has to feel kind of Ava-ish. Yeah. Like, I like I don't know if he'll, if the writer of Berserk will ever finish it, considering he's been working on it for 27 years, but... Um, yeah, like, I, it would not surprise me if Berserk is the only thing this guy makes, ever. Yeah. But if he does finish it, and he's still willing to write, I hope he does something completely different. Because oh yeah, just makes like a fucking like height slice life shonen series. Yeah, kind of like how when um, Arka Haruma was done with Full Metal Alchemist, she made a farming show. Yeah, farming or like the economy. fucking Death Note guys. They went from super complicated story about fucking like various various fucking like mind games happening to let's make a thing about our lives. Fuck it. It's like yeah. a romance series, you know, but like people draw shit. Yeah. So, is there anything else you needed to say about uh? Berserk? I'm not even halfway done. Okay. <laughs> so, the eclipse happens. Griffith ascends to Femto. 
the fifth hand, the fifth finger of the god hand. Casca and Casca and Guts escape. As they get out, they go. They go. They eventually like Guts learns that Casca, because of the events that happened, you know the things I mentioned earlier. Uh, she has reverted to an infant mentally. So now she just fucking walks around and makes baby noises. And kind of hates Guts. Because if a child saw Guts, they would shit themselves. And from there, uh, Guts begins a two-year war against the God Hand and the Apostles by just going around murdering a bunch of them. Eventually, the story catches up to the to the first arc and goes beyond the first arc. Where Casca eventually gets captured and is going to be sacrificed as a fucking heathen and witch to the to God. So Guts goes after her, fights a bunch of apostles who actually succeeded in recreating the eclipse that reincarnates Griffith as a human. So Griffith is a person again. And so Griffith goes out into the world and begins. Okay, that's. Yeah, so Griffith goes out into the world and begins rebuilding the Band of the Hawk, but this time with humans and apostles or demons. And because, because of his time spent as a member of the God Hand, he is now not really connected to the physical world anymore. So nobody can hit him with anything. Like people try to strike him with swords, swords hit nothing. People shoot arrows at him, arrows hit nothing. He can fucking alternate the laws of gravity to make himself fly. And guts. Meanwhile is like, I think I'm just going to leave this. I'm going to just, just like go like get Costco somewhere safe. So he forms a traveling party. Which includes, you know, Guts, Casca, um, Puck, a child, an insane pyrophiliac, her buddy, a young witch, and a second elf. The second, the witch... Also a child. And everybody gets fucking magical armor and shit. It is super goddamn weird. It is, it is like, it's like a D&D party that invaded Berserk. Because like Guts is still Guts. And what he does is still what he does. But everybody else, like, like one dude has like a fucking cloak that let that gives him like some light flight abilities because he can manipulate wind and a sword made out of feathers. The child has a bag of bombs and a fucking sword and a fucking little dagger that makes fire. The witch, I'm pretty sure is like straight up from a JRPG. And then there's Guts, who now has special okay. armor that turns him into a demon dog. Sure. And so I'm not 100% sure where the series is going now, like where I'm at. I'm thinking about like around like 200 something, like mid 200s. Because the plot as it it stands is Griffith is over here doing something, building an army, doing something to make it to get his own kingdom, which has always been his goal. 
and then guts and, and then guts and friends are over here playing Dungeons and Dragons. All to all to get to a fucking country of elves so that Casca can be safe there. Because the place that they kept her before, so that her brand wouldn't fucking attract dead people, got destroyed. I don't know what Berserk is doing. I don't know what it is doing. But it's not... It's not confusing. It's just dense. Yeah. I I got that even from the mostly pretty simple... The mostly pretty simple band of the Hawks arc was still dense with. Yeah, just like that, that is that is kind of the biggest problem in terms of like the accessibility of Berserk. It's just there is so much terminology. You learn that terminology very easily, but if somebody tries to explain it to you, they kind of can't because there is because there are so many different fucking parts that connect to make this fucking like two that connect to make this fucking like turning machine. It's essentially like there's a hand crank on one side and a fucking like a fucking like wheel on another side. In order to get that thing to turn, you need to have fucking 19,000 gears. But all the gears are very clearly marked and none of them can be lost. So it's very easy to put together. It's just there's a lot of it. Okay, that's... That's a terrible <laughs> metaphor and about as convoluted as anything in Berserk. <laughs> so it tracks. Get fucked. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I'm continue. still. You said you got only half done, so I'm still really liking Berserk, though. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard no bad things from anyone as long as they weren't talking about the anime adaptations. Yeah, that's the thing. Anything about Berserk that isn't the anime is kind of great. Like character, like character wise, it works. Uh, Art wise, it really fucking works. Like, I'm not sure of his name, but the artist on this fucking series, the writer on the series, motherfucker can draw. And it is, and it is distinct. This is very much, Berserk is very much its own style. Like, like from the, like from the way that he draws fucking faces and people to the way that he draws intensity and monsters and shit. It is, it is so wholly unique. In manga. I yeah. fucking love it. Which is why everyone's so pissed at how bad the anime adaptations are. It is <laughs> shocking how bad they are. <laughs> like, the first one is arguably the best, and it has not aged well. <laughs> yeah, like, like... Berserk is if people were fucking, like... Berserk is it's it's like it's like the fucking publisher of the series or whoever held the rights to fucking auction off the manga for for adaptation. It's like they held the auction specifically for the worst studios. And I can't understand why. Like you'd think something like Berserk would warrant a good studio. Like, you know, like, imagine, like, imagine, like, Trigger the, the, doing a fucking Berserk series. The, yeah, like, the, the original series was done by the people who did Pokemon. <laughs> that must have been a fucking shift. <laughs> I th- it, 
Yeah, I imagine so. It's like, yeah, and here we have some cells, and like just like going through like their fucking hall of records or whatever. And here we have some original cells from Pokemon. And then there's Berserk. As like you see some of the cells are like destroyed because like, like there's just like, tears on them. Yeah, and then everyone's like, I, "What?" <laughs> and it's like one of these things is not like the others. Just to keep Berserk locked away in a dark room in the back. Yeah, I. I cannot understand yeah, it. Yeah, I don't. It, yeah, and the studio that made it, uh, they've done... The only thing I can... Okay, everything they've done has kind of been blah. It's, I mean, even Heroic Legend of Arsalan, which is based on a manga I really liked, the anime was really blah, bad CG in it. Or, and... uh Another favorite of them, or Akashic Records of a Bastard Magic Instructor. That was another bland one where I was like, uh. <laughs> The only thing I've heard of that you might have seen, I don't know, is Terraformars. Yeah, yeah, that looked like an abridged series. <laughs> it was not good. So, yeah, it's almost a shame that apparently no good studio can, like, why can't production IG pick up Berserk? Oh, God. Or A1 Pictures. Actually, no, not A1 Pictures. A1 Pictures doesn't usually go dark enough for Berserk. Madhouse? Or production IG. Yeah, Madhouse. That's a possibility. I kind of want to see what Trigger could do with it. That would be weird. <laughs> yeah, or, 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 just, or just have it be like a co-production between like production IG and fucking Trigger. Or production ID ju- where production IG does all the fucking like really calm, regular shit, and then when it goes into battle, it turns into fucking Trigger. Just like Guts screams, and then it turns into fucking Gurren Lagan. So yeah. Berserk, it's good. Read it. Yeah. Never watch it. So, moving on. I read a book that you've talked about a bunch of times on the show, Birdie. Magic Chef of Ice and Fire. Okay. It wasn't great. Yeah. It's especially weird that they broke the series up into two different fucking series with a drastic change in art styles. Yeah, I don't know why they did that either. (laughs) Yeah, so Bernie's talked about it before, but just a quick rundown. There's a kid, his dad was a fire mage, mom was an ice mage, they both got got. He ended up being raised and kind of taught by a magic chef who was able to, t- uh, a chef actually, who was able to use, who was able to teach him how to use his magic to make food. Uh, he then, the kid then goes out on a quest to become a chef and get revenge. Not necessarily in that order. Oh yeah, and everybody wants his dick. Yeah, and but and that's why I said this is why I'm kind of torn about the series because while I like the fact that the main character has no interest in these main three women at all, the ones that want his dick, he's like, Jesus, no, like, just leave my dick alone. I need my dick to cook. Or like when the father of one of them tries to buy him off, he's like, No, I'm just gonna sell shit I made and buy this super rich, super awesome knife off you. <laughs> or how like when the oldest daughter basically almost what almost strong arms him into pursuing her as a romantic interest. 
he tricks her into pinching him so that he no longer has any obligations to her that he has to repay. Yeah. <laughs> so shit like that is fine. It's just the rest of it is bland. Yeah, like the beginning, like the original art style is not terrible. It's just traditional webtoon art and it's not, it doesn't do anything to push itself forward yeah. any, at all. Like, like all the all the magic effects are just they feel like stock assets from like a fucking effects generator. And I always feel out yeah. of place with the rest of the art. Yeah. And when we eventually get over into the second art style, it just looks like shit. Like, yeah. I don't hate the second art style. I it's do. Just, I feel like, okay, I, but I don't, but I do think it's a downgrade from how it was originally. Yeah. And it like, radically changes character designs in ways that I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, like multiple characters, they like get like super weird hair changes that like, and it's so goddamn weird. Like, there's not even a time skip. Like, like this first series ends at a scene. The second series begins at that same scene and picks up from there. And there's a distinct break because it because like it's called the because like the first thing is the, the the Magic Chef of Ice and Fire. The second one is the Magic Chef of Ice and Fire Two. Like, it is a sequel. Yeah. Like, that first series like finished a story. It, yeah, when it didn't, it literally just cut off in the middle of a story and switched to a second story, which I don't get at all. But um, what it most reminds me of, aside from the art style change, which is the biggest problem with the changeover, is uh, Tokyo Ghoul, which just randomly stopped the story mid-sentence, <laughs> basically, and changes to something else. Essentially, just to run out the clock, introduce more characters, just to get back to the same point they already were at. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, another thing that really bugs me about it is how little chefing there is. Like, like, like the like the coda that the fucking last series then, like the button the last series ends on, is. So, so there are three sisters. They are like the kind of the most powerful sisters in the city. They are they're like daughters of the fucking grand mage or something. And the eldest sister, who is wise and cunning and shit, uh, makes a bet with her main character. Basically, just like just, just like I have three days to guess what your real profession is. And so, at the end of three days, she says, "You're an assassin." Because she doesn't believe that he is a real regular mage. Eventually, they get to the restaurant where he where he was working as a fucking busboy, and then makes a dish, and he says, "This is what I am: not an assassin, not a mage. I'm a chef." That's the first time we've seen him cook a dish in like uh, in like fifty chapters. Yeah, which is a problem. Like, so like, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying you don't need all this stuff. Pardon? I, had, I talked over you, sorry. Oh, I was just, okay, so narrative-wise, I get it to a certain extent, because while he was already kind of a master chef, he's mostly been improving his magic to increase what he's capable of as a magic chef. But, like, and but there, I agree with you that there's plot lines that just feel like they got dropped, like the fact that he's technically on the run from Ice Mages. Yeah, like... Or that the the, the daughter of the blacksmith who forged his weapons still maintains kind of a connection with him, even though neither of them are really pursuing it. 
yeah, she shows up. They get a, they get a connection. Then he leaves for six months. Then they show up again. They have the same connection. Then he leaves once again. And I'm not saying and I'm not saying I need like fucking like soma levels of cooking in this. Just something to show that he is still a chef. You're like every once in a while he'll like fucking make his own dish, and we actually see it. We see the preparation and the fucking cooking that goes into it. We get to see we get to see somebody's reactions to that. Like like when he works at the restaurant, he fucking uses a, he like like tries to get a dude's knife once in the in the kitchen, and then and then never brings it up again. We never see him at the kitchen again until he fucking goes over there and says, "Hey, I'm a chef." Yeah, and. This could have been something. This could have been something really interesting. If it had, if it had been like, hey, if the story had been like split half, half and half, like this is him learning to be a better major. This is him learning to be a better chef. Both of them toward the same goal of revenge. It was like he has fucking two paths going down. One of them, he is like climbing the ranks, climbing the ranks, just up and up and up to get to become a fucking grand ma- grand mage of this fucking local order of the guild or whatever. The other side, he is. Working his way up the fucking like culinary ladder, eventually becoming like some kind of head, eventually becoming some of the kind of fucking chef at the place where he's trying to go to kill somebody. Just something, something that showed an actual progression in both sides of his life. He is a magic chef, so equal part, so equal fucking play needs to be given to the magic and the chef. I think at least, yeah. Which has not happened so far. No, and it has been magic, 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 magic cooking. Yeah. Which maybe it could fix itself since there now seems to be a way that he could maybe start working as a chef too, even though he's trying not to be beholden to anybody. But th- it just feels like after they set up a couple of interesting plot threads, they've all kind of stalled. Yeah. I hope that's not true. I'm, I enjoy it more than you do. I see the problems with it, but... Uh, this need this needs to get back on track. If it, let me know if it does. Yeah, and I'll keep reading it. I won't bother you unless it changes. Of course. All right, then. And then finally, I mentioned this series last episode with the news, and so I decided to pick. It, so I decided to pick it up and try reading it. Kengan Ashura. This is really good. I really fucking like it. So Kengan Ashra is about a low-level employee at a publishing company. His name is Kazuo. One day, walking home from work, he sees two people beat the fuck out of each other. It is at that point that he is pulled into the world of the Kengan Alliance, which is... Basically, back in like feudal era Japan, uh, a bunch of fucking a bunch of like a bunch of merchants were having disputes with each other, and that eventually started turning into like war and like bigger fucking conflicts and stuff. So at the time, the the Hoka- the shogunate said, "Hey, how about you just let like two guys fight?" And at that point, the Kengan Alliance was born, where every time two businesses have a dispute or like or like have something they just like they can't hash out regularly, they pick. Each company picks a representative fighter and have them get in a one-on-one street fight. Whoever wins, whoever side wins, that company succeeds in the deal they're trying to make. 
like one of the first things uh like one of the first things that um Cosmo was involved in is like like a building dispute where where it's like all right so we, all right so we we they they were essentially like fighting over rights for a plot of land in order to build like a new headquarters on or something and it was a deal estimated around like a couple hundred million or a couple billion yen and yeah that's the, that's basically the series is just this is Kazuo getting involved with a fighter named Tokito Oma, who is the guy who he saw beat the shit out of a gangster. There's the two of them becoming becoming like partners in this with him being his manager. And the two of them just getting deeper and deeper into this fucking society where Kazuo is just like, I just want to not die. And like have a job at the end of the day. And then Oma's like, I want to be the strongest there ever is. This is where the strongest people go. So let's fucking do this, bro. Yeah, the series is just about these two fucking dudes getting deeper and deeper into this world. Kazuo not really understanding what's happening, but going with the flow of it. Um, well, trying to go with the flow of it and failing horribly. And Oma just existing there. And it's really fucking good. Uh, the writer in this managed to manages to like come up with interesting fights. Like all that, like all of them do eventually turn into just like fucking full on like slobber knockers, just trying to beat the shit of each other until one of them fucking passes out. But he does it interestingly. Like everybody has their own individual fighting style. Everybody has their own special techniques and shit. Like one of the fucking fights we see, there is a giant man who is like fucking two hundred pounds or whatever, who gets hit in the head so hard that he regains his sense of balance from being at sea. Like he spent so much time on a boat, fucking body slamming orcas. That that being on land, he is no longer able to balance like he is in a boat. But then somebody hitting him in the head messed with his inner, messed with his internal sense of balance, so that it was like he was in the sea again, and he became able to fucking like stand on stand on his tippy toes on one foot and kick somebody with enough strength and power to do real damage, even more so than okay. when he was standing on land. All right, and then you have like assassin families and stuff, and. It just gets deeper and deeper into this fucking insane world, and I goddamn love it. All the fighters are really interesting. They all have uh, they all have like interesting like personality quirks or design quirks. Whereas they uh, all the fucking managers, like all the conniving and shit going on behind the scenes, is really interesting. Uh, the guy in charge of it all is just this old scraggly ass man who is just fucking awesome. Cosmo is. A really good straight man. Like, this world is ridiculous. It is just fucking insane. Super fucking exaggerated in every possible way. And so his straight man reactions to all this shit are just as exaggerated. Like, he spends half the series with his jaw hanging down around his fucking nipples. Just because his jaw keeps dropping at the insane shit he's seeing. Okay. But there has been like regular things uh, showing that he isn't just some fucking stand. He isn't some fucking bystander. He is. He's kind of meant for this world. He has a certain level of perception and analysis that he is able to navigate this world relatively well. Like, uh, but as we as we're getting into the most recent arc, there was a huge like ninety man fighting tournament that that were preliminaries for a bigger fighting tournament. And only five of them would survive in order to get into the next fucking round. Uh, Kazuo accurately picked out all five of the members who would be who'd be moving on to the next round. 
Like people who people have gone there for fucking years were able to get like maybe like three or four of them. He got all five first try. And he's able to like see fighting styles and stuff and be able to like not analyze, but he's able to understand them to an extent. Like not, not nothing conscious. He's not he isn't he isn't like, oh, that's this kind of fighting style. You need to counter it with this. He is just kind of seeing it and subconsciously realizing, oh, it's this, this needs to happen, this needs to do this. He's not a fighter or like a interested in fight in any real way. He just is kind of along for the ride. Oma is the one that you really want to fucking pay attention to. Oma is Oma's a really cool fighter. A lot of his fighting style is determinant on deflecting blows away from himself or deflecting their power back on them. Using a specific fighting style that like breaks people's fucking arms and shit and does all kinds of weird shit to their body. And he himself, I I like the simple-mindedness. I like he's kind of a Kamina. Just one over-the-top personality who brings along a who drinks who drags along some fucking other guy and shows the other guy the potential that he has or whatever, just just by being the most awesome. And it's kind of hard in a world where everybody is some level of awesome. It's kind of hard for me to talk about the series because it will just turn to me just like listing off every single fucking thing about it. Yeah, like yeah, well, at least you've read it, so you can explain. It. I have no entry point to this, so yeah, that, that, yeah, no, it, and it really should check it out if you get the chance to. It is a, I think you might like it. It's a decent battle series. What's the name again? Kengan Ashura. I'll type it out in the chat and send it to you. Okay. Yeah, the other, the other really good, strong thing about it is the artwork. The This dude can fucking draw. Like, the artwork is very exaggerated and very much, very cartoony, but he's able to put a level of detail into it that makes it, that has it, gives a very tangible sense about it. Like, it feels, there is, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, but it just, it feels heavier than it looks. Would that make any sense? Okay. And yeah, like a lot of really, a lot of really good detail and everything. A lot of interesting character designs. A lot of real good reaction shots. A lot of real good, just characters. I think. Period. I like a lot of the characters in this. And yeah, I just really like this fucking book. I'm now looking forward to the anime. And it has kind of fallen into a One Punch Man trap, where I think it, where I think that any anime will never look as good as the manga. Good job, King Ganashra. Okay. Yeah, anyway. That's all I got. Alright. So then, news. We have some. First up, uh, TMS has announced that uh, for the 50th anniversary project for Lupin the Third, uh, it's it's been greenlit, and it will be, and it is called, um, Lupin wa ima mo moiteru ka, which is which roughly translates to "Is Lupin still raring to go?" Uh, the series will be the project will be directed uh, by Monkey Punch, the creator of Lupin the Third. Well, yeah. 
But yeah, that's happening. And yeah, that's about all we know about it at this point. Just 50th anniversary. Guy what made Lupin making Lupin again. You a big Lupin guy? It depends. Like I've read some of the comics. I've watched a lot of the TV. The, the thing about Lupin the Third is I haven't watched any of the ongoing TV series except one that it, the most recent one and the one that's about Fujiko. So I'm not sure how representative those are. I've watched a lot of like the specials that came out in the late '90s, early 2000s, and those are kind of hit and miss. Because uh-huh. that's the kind of thing with the with the premise of Lupin, it's kind of all down to the writing. Because okay. like, while there's some tonal shifts, like I'll, I'll say this: the most recent anime is a huge tonal shift from what most Lupin is, because it's a lot darker, and particularly the Fujiko series. Lupin is mostly kind of a comedic lech, and like, if have you seen the Ghibli film with him in it? Uh, I haven't have seen any Lupin things. Okay. Yeah. The thing about Lupin is that, yeah, he's a goofy, mostly likable character, but he's also a lech, a thief, a con man. He kills people without much regard, even if he does it kind of in a silly way. <laughs> it, uh, his team includes a, a veteran con artist, an ex gangster, and a samurai. You know. So it re- it really comes down to how the story is written. Like, it, I don't think it, if the if the story is like you can change the tone, but if the story is too dark, then it's not really a good Lupin story most of the time. Because there was a, one where he was like on an island of death with assassins and stuff, and like a Bond plot that tried to get dark, but like about survival the fittest and stuff like that, and that didn't really work. But a plot where Lupin rips off the World Bank who was attempting to plummet the entire uh, the entirety of the first world into third world, third world level of uh, economic dependency. Yeah, that one actually kind of works. Even if it <laughs> does have a goofy scene with him driving a hearse through a hospital. Like you do. So it really, it, I would really recommend you kind of look something, either read something or look something up that's Lupin related, preferably one of the specials, just to get your own sense of it. Because if you, if you like goofy, if you like um, goofy, likable characters, but with a slight dark undertone, then you would probably like Lupin, but you kind of have to get a sense of it for yourself. Because some people like the, the Ghibli movie that Miyazaki made with him because it kind of takes out most of the more darker reprehensible elements of Lupin and just kind of makes him like a noble rogue. But Miyazaki got his start working on the original Lupin series where he was a con artist to create accidents, steal from people, lecherously pursue women of any stripe. And Miyazaki got rid of a lot of that. And people consider that to be one of the best Lupin series. I don't personally because it takes away a lot of the stuff I really like about Lupin. It makes the characters too likable. It makes the things a little bit too sweet. It's kind of like, um, like, would you want Miyazaki to do Black Lagoon? <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> so you see my problem. Yeah, yeah, I do. I get that. That is that's a problem. <laughs> huh. Yeah, but I like Lupin, so I'll probably check this out. All right, then. 
Uh, so moving on. So coming in 2018, along with a couple of other fucking Go Nagai reboots, is another Go Nagai reboot. Everything that guy does is getting rebooted. Yeah. Maybe Cutie Honey will get a reboot. So Cutie Honey's getting a reboot. <laughs> I predict the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it'll be getting a new, it'll be getting a new anime series in 2018 uh, called Cutie Honey Universe. Cool. Actually, yeah. speaking of a series, speaking of a uh, franchise that you're familiar of a co- company you're familiar with, guess who worked on Cutie Honey in the mid 2000s? Who that? Trigger. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And like the the opening to the, the they made like three like feature not feature length but like TV feature TV episode um hour t- TV hour length OVAs that are kind of some of my favorite anime ever just to watch for sheer goofiness. So I might uh bring up the, just the because and this the opening for this has been parodied to hell. Probably the funniest version being they parody it with the characters from Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> oh, that's great. Let's see. Um... Yeah, so while you're looking that up, uh, series will be directed by um, Akatoshi Yokoyama, uh, who worked on Photocano. Uh, with production being, held by, being um, ha- handled by Production Read. It was a company that, based on what I've been able to look up, haven't really done main production on a series yet. Oh, that's never a good sign. <laughs> yeah, most of uh, most of their uh, credits include um, production cooperation on a couple episodes and in between a second key animation. All right, I posted the opening in the chat so you can watch when you get a chance. Okay. Yeah, so that'll be happening. Uh, the teaser visual that was released uh, showed Cutie Honey in a variety of costumes. Well, that, okay, so do you know the premise of Cutie Honey? No. Okay. Um, I feel like okay, we talked so, about it before, but I never remember it. All right, so Cutie Honey is a gynoid. It's the main character of the series who um, was in... Was in <laughs> This is such a weird 70s anime thing. She was infused with a heart engine. Powered by love. Okay. And she uses that and to take on any number of different costumes and disguises. And she then gains the skill set or powers based on whatever disguise she's wearing. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. The best way I've heard it described is if you cross if you cross Mega Man with Barbie. Okay, so that's the thing. And hey, according to the guy himself, apparently she's the first ever female protagonist of a shonen manga. Yeah, well, because um, it, Kitty Honey looks like a magical girl series, but it, it the way the stories play out, it would probably be more accurate to compare it to like Super Sentai. Okay. It's just a lot it's just goofier than Power Rangers. It's more goofy like Super Sentai goofy. Yeah. So the series is to commemorate uh the to commemorate 50 years of Gona Guy's works, a lot which is also what Devilman Crybaby and the Mazinger Z Infinity film are. I don't want another Devilman 
Okay, of the three series that were mentioned that are getting remakes next year, I, I only kind of want the Cutie Honey one. Maybe Mazinger Z will make it good. Because, okay, Mazinger Z has not been remade since the 70s for good fucking reason because it is so generic that it, basically it was the standard for what um, mech anime were like pre-Gundam. <laughs> and since... And basically, that means it's goofy. It has little characterization. It treats women pretty badly because you know seventies. Yeah. And, and Devil Man just yeah, it's cool, but it the premise is just depressing. <laughs> okay. Well, I've seen some stuff of it, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. Okay. I don't have any really experience with Devil Man, so this is kind of even like my first Devil Man thing. Okay. I mean, it's not violence, Jack, bad, but that's, <laughs> that's from the same... I think that's in the same universe, actually. Yeah, probably. Anyway, to commemorate the anime adaptation coming out next year, uh, Exit Tunes, a company that apparently exists, uh, has Whatever. announced they'll be selling at Comic Market 93. They'll be selling special body pillows. Of Cutie Honey, both clothed and unclothed. Yeah. Well, if you watch the opening sequence, you would see why that makes sense. Yeah. And then, finally, uh, this past week, uh, one, the creator of One Punch Man and Mob Psycho 100, has announced that Mob Psycho 100 will be ending with the next chapter. Yeah, I heard that. And I was like, from what I remember reading the manga recently, I was like, is it at a stopping point? <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, that's, that's happening. Uh, the next chapter will be uh, debuting on the Manga One app uh, this Friday. Probably the day you're listening to this. If you're listening to this day, it comes out. And yeah, that's kind of a bummer. But eh, maybe, maybe it means they're working on One Punch Man more. Yeah, more well. I mean, well, the issues with One Punch Man are not with uh, one's part of the story. It's with the people working on the good part of the manga. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. But just have you? When was the last time you read a one written One Punch Man story, or like the actual like web comic? A few months, I think. Eleven months was the last time a chapter came out. Okay, <laughs> that's. Maybe then maybe he is going back to one. Maybe that's why they slowed down as much as they have. They didn't want to catch up. Although from what you've told me, the story is so far ahead. Even if they slowed down, it still wouldn't catch up. <laughs> yeah. Also, based on previous releases, um, he appears to uh, one has apparently developed a unfortunate habit from fucking uh, Yusuke Murata, where he's now breaking his chapters up into smaller individual chapters. Like chapter, like chapter one hundred nine had nine parts. Like it like it was like at least at least in the way that I read it, it was released nine times with with incrementally longer with incrementally a higher page count. Which is something I've heard people accuse Murata of. Mm. So yeah, that that's happening. I kind of dropped off 
Mob Psycho. Yeah. Well, because I don't know if you felt the same, but at a certain point, like when the broccoli started taking over people's minds, the story got a little too hard to follow. <laughs> it wasn't that got too wasn't that got too hard to follow. It's just that I kind of began losing interest. Yeah, I guess that was it too. But it... like every everything everything that happened that I I understood to an extent. Like the broccoli taking over people's minds thing. That was fucking Dimple's plan from the jump. Just, I want to be God. Oh, hey, there's broccoli. Maybe we'll maybe make broccoli God. Fuck it. And then Dimple got fucking exercised. You know how Dimples do. Anyway. That's going to do it for this year. Thank y'all for joining us. Yeah, what a note to go out on, huh? Yeah. Just, yeah, the broccoli take over people's heads makes sense. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> That's anime for you. So, yeah. Uh, the Dustin Frost Anime Manga Podcast will be back on January 18th with a brand new episode. Uh, taking our customary two-week-off break at the end of the year. Uh, in between now and then, though, we got nothing. Maybe the occasional video or article from me, because I will never stop working, because I can't. I have a problem. And that problem is I'm always working and never working. Which is why you get occasionally just giant dumps of shit, and then long periods of silence. But anyway, thank y'all for joining us. And thank y'all for joining us for the last year. Uh, hopefully things get, hopefully things improve and get even better in 2018 because they won't for the rest of the world. Yeah, let's hope things get better. Yeah. And you can help make things better by going to patreon.com slash deathstoreprods. <laughs> God damn it. What? It was a good time for a plug. I guess. Okay, no, it was a terrible time for a plug, but I thought of one right then, so fuck it. Anyway, thank y'all for joining us. Until next time, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. We'll see you guys in 2018. Happy holidays and have a pleasant new year. Or try to at least. Yeah, yeah, for our sakes. And for your own too.